Hey, there we go. Oh, oh snap. We figured it out. <laughs> we got it. Look, <laughs> look. It only took us twice as long as it took Julia to get this going. And I'm pretty sure that she just learned it like a month ago. So we, I think we're getting old. I'm okay with that. I'm actually very much so okay with that because my knees are telling me that I'm getting old. And so I'm glad that the universe is in alignment. Can't you feel, you can feel it. The weather's changing. You're starting to feel it in your bones, right? <laughs> I'm like, ooh, my left elbow hurts. <laughs> oh, yeah. Brain is coming. Storm's coming. The storm, the storm's coming. <laughs> my left elbow gets to tingling. <laughs> We're about to have a snowstorm. It's time to bring in the, bring in the horses. I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Um, <laughs> is this a frontier? <laughs> That's right. Um, this is Sweet Tea Time, and uh, this is this is coming two days after um, so, so a podcast episode that shook the shook the very foundations of. No, I don't know. It was just a great episode that came out of nowhere, spontaneous. Uh, Julian Ben were at a tea par- parlor. And they were like, they probably had just gone through something and uh, decided to do a podcast about how they were feeling. And I loved every minute of it. And um, this is this is our kind of follow up. It's not a response, really, but it's a it's a follow up because we heard it. We were inspired. True. Um, Tell us about sweet tea, though. What is the difference between tea and sweet tea? Um, in a very truncated, uh, explanation, sweet tea is a drink that is literally just that. It's sweet tea and it's, uh, very particular to certain parts of the South. Um, and I don't think it's necessarily a black or white thing, but, um, people in the South definitely drink a lot of sweet tea. I always associate it with blackness just because I'm black. <laughs> and so everything that I do is associated with blackness. And also how I came to learn about sweet tea was with um, black folks that I met in the South. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, yeah. And because and because sweet tea, they don't even call it sweet tea. They just call it tea because <laughs> your tea's supposed to have sugar in it. That's the thing. It's like, what, what, what do you do? You don't put sugar in your tea. Um, so that's a, that's a whole that's a whole thing there. But uh, the. The reason why we wanted to call it sweet tea is because we're going to talk about the black perspective uh, of kind of what Julia and Ben were going through. And we're not going to touch on, you know, this is not to go through every point that they made. No. Uh, But one of the things that was interesting that we were talking about was that it's different for black people. It is. It's very different for black people, actually. Um, what was the thing you posted? I, I, I feel like I'm going to say you, you tweeted about this, but I think you tweet about it like once every couple weeks. <laughs> I think you like Stop. wake up in the morning and you're like, and you look in the mirror and then and what is oh, that yeah. experience? Like, what is it? What, what happens when you tweet this out? And, and it's not, yeah, it's not I think you're, I it. think. I think you're thinking about how I tweet, you know, I woke up this morning a black woman and celebrated. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I do. I do tweet that like every couple of weeks I'll just kind of wake up because I've said this. I've said this in, in lectures. I've said this in person that being a black woman is the best thing to ever happen to me. And I consider myself very lucky 
to be in a black woman's body. Mm. Um, I think that there is a special kind of um, experience that comes with the intersectionality of like blackness and black women and specifically black womanhood. Mm. It's unlike anything um, I think anybody could ever experience. And also it is the source of a lot of trauma, mm. right? Like black women are expected to carry so much weight and we're expected to do it graciously. And there's all these tropes that are put on us, the Jezebel, the Sapphire, you know, whatever. And yet we are some of the greatest people in the entire world. And I, I mean, my mom, my grandmother, my great grandmother, the black women in my community, it is unlike anything that many folks can even, you know, aspire to be. And so I consider myself very lucky that the ancestors and the universe and Beyonce decided to, uh, you know, bring me back in this iteration of my life as a black woman. Black women have been, always been the caretakers um, during the days of slavery. They were the ones that, that raised children, their children and not their children. Um, they were the ones who were the cornerstone of black culture as families were um, torn apart or as fathers went off after, after this post-slavery as, as they went off to go and work. And the, the mothers hung back and they, they raised the family as the mortality rate of black men skyrocketed through the roof, it was black women, black grandmothers that raised families and built and maintained cultures and communities. Uh, it was black women that invented many things and didn't get credit for most of them. Um, and it, it's, and in our work, especially as black women who vote the right way <laughs> every time. <laughs> Every single 93% time. was the last statistic that I read during the 2018 elections. 93% of black women voted Democrat. Yeah, yeah, they, they vote the right way. And, and so, and this is where like black women just, just, just now, just now, like during, even during our lifetimes, black women are just not getting the flowers, the credit that they deserve. Um, and this is kind of a, this is kind of a renaissance for black women. And it's, so I, I hear you. It's, probably remarkable to be in this space in the now um and and yet and yet what you're talking about is your race and your gender and these are things that that are that are not just like everything that you are but you're saying that that to you these are things that you that are really really special and we're calling this out specifically because um because in the the previous podcast the conversation was about i don't i don't necessarily want you to see my ethnicity i want you to see just to me who who i am yeah and you know that's an important that's an important distinction because we we have said in lectures in person you know in many spaces that like yes black people are not a monolith and that also counts to folks of different communities and different cultures mm -hmm. right there isn't we should not be looking at each other in this kind of monolithic way and so one of the things I really appreciate about, you know, the previous podcast with Julian Ben is like you're getting insight to how these two young people are navigating the world. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And so for me, I navigate the world um, as a black person first. Right. As a black woman first. And a lot of times it's really difficult to separate the two. And you can't really separate the two because the world also functions with me as a black woman. Mm -hmm. And so I don't actually try to separate the two. They come hand in hand. And. 
for me, it's important that people see me as a black woman. But I was telling you that I was watching an episode of Finding Your Roots with Ava DuVernay, the director. Let me just real quick. Let me just say that and people may be asking, but what about Charles? I I just want to quickly say (laughs) just real quick. I am black. How are you going to see yourself? People, Charles, did you go on mute? Oh, oh, there you go. Can you hear me? You went on mute for a second. You said, I am black and Filipino, and then it went and quiet. I was like, I dropped the mic, and, he, and Charles left the podcast. <laughs> I didn't want to say that. <laughs> um, is, so so that, that, is, that, that is what I am genetically. The, the, the way I've been raised, and not just, you know, what my parents told me is true, but also the, the reality of the way the world has seen me the way the world has seen me and this is this is again from like when i was younger it was different today i think there are more nuances around folks that are mixed race but coming up it was like this is a black man and yeah he got a little something in him but he's black (laughs) and so my dad like out of the gate was like listen they're gonna see you as black with something in you and the part that's gonna count to the police officer to the security in the store to the judge, to whomever, is that you are black. That's the part that's going to count to people. They're not going to care that you can have something else in you. They're going to care about the fact that you're black. And this is, that's how I move through the world as well, as well. And that's why I'm culturally, that's why I grew up around and Hilltop and Tacoma is around black folks. So I just want to put that part out there because that, that's going to inform the rest of this conversation and also my, my placement in it. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, if we're thinking historically, you know, there was that one drop rule. Right. And so no matter what you may be mixed with, if you are supposedly and I'm putting this in quotes, discernibly black, Mm -hmm. then that is the identity that people are going to move through the world with you. So So even though you're about the one drop rule. I mean, it's in the Constitution, you know, basically in order to. So, for example, one of the most famous cases about black identity is, you know, Plessy, Homer Plessy, who did the Plessy v. Ferguson case in 1896. Plessy was seven eighths white. Right. And so he challenged, um, you know, the the separate but equal uh, car train cars in New Orleans. And he was he identified as a black man because he had black in him. He had an eighth of black in him. And so this idea that even in the Constitution, if you have a drop of, quote unquote, Negro blood, it supposedly taints. And I'm putting this in quotations, taints any kind of white purity that you may have. Um, And that is also the way a lot of black people are looked at even today. Right. If you're thinking about you know, this supposed race war that's coming that certain extremists are preparing for, right? It's this idea that even, quote-unquote, race mixing, right, the Loving v. Virginia case um, that came out of Virginia, uh, this idea that, like, you should not mix miscegenation. Mm-hmm. So it is important for people to understand that not all mixed-race people who are mixed with black view themselves in this way, but for you, Charles James Douglas III, like, your black identity is just as important as your Filipino identity, and also that the world is not even going to think about your Filipino identity, because what you're going to see is a black man first, and that does, you know, I appreciate you kind of calling that out, that, like, even though your Filipino side is just as important as your black side, the way the world is going to look at you is they're just going to look at you as a black man with supposedly something else mixed in. Right. 
So what? Sorry, I interrupted you. What were you going to say? No, that was that was a very good interruption. I was um, I was I guess I was trying to put it in 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 context for some folks because I think I'm going to be using a term um, that I don't know if I just made this up, but uh, forced forced marginalized identities, Mm. right? Because as Black people, we don't forcefully marginalize ourselves. The environment that we moved in marginalizes us, Mm. right? We're looked at. We're supposedly quote unquote, called quote unquote minorities, but in actuality, we are part of people of the global majority, which is something that I saw a black historian talking about on social media. Mm. And so Ava DuVernay was on an episode of Finding Your Roots with, uh, with Dr. Henry, Henry Louis Gates, and she had been basically told her ancestry up until a certain point, And she found out that a portion of her white ancestry was actually in Haiti and enslaved a portion of her black ancestry. Mm. And so when she was getting ready to look at the kind of pie chart of what her identity was mixed with, what her ethnicity kind of makeup was, she started to get a little nervous. And, you know, Dr. Gates asked her, like, hey, you know, what are you nervous about? She's like, I just hope I have more black in me. And when she flipped the page, she did. And he asked her to kind of talk through that. And she said, I am black before I am anything else. And I feel like for me, that is how I see myself. But I know that the world interacts with me as a black woman. But what they see first is black. Right. Because if I wear a hoodie and it's in the morning and my voice is raspy, and you kind of can't tell. Right. Like you're going to see black before you see anything else, before you get the supposed, quote unquote, usual markers that let you know a person's gender. And so that for me, I think, is a really good way of like setting up this conversation is that I know for you and I our identities and our blackness is so key to the way we move through the world and we see ourselves and how we interact with people around us that I don't ever want that to be diminished, right? I am perfectly fine with you seeing me as a black woman. That's not going to like make me feel some kind of way. Right. Right. And we, and we have you, you and I, um, you know, we, we are, we're in a, in a generation that's a couple generations from the, the switch, the switch of, of looking at blackness. Um, the way that we look at it now, because we're not the first ones to say I'm proud of being black. <laughs> that, right, that, came, right. that came before us, but it was a response to generations of blackness being being negative. So the the historical piece of this is would you say would you say forced marginalization? Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's pretty good. It's, it's catchy. You're good, good, good at this thing. You're good at this thing. So, I appreciate it. I appreciate so it. I should copyright that I mean, or something. You should, you should be. You should do this work for a living. Um, so, I, you know what? I'm gonna. I'm gonna figure out a job. I'm gonna figure out a way to do this for I'm gonna talk to my <laughs> manager. So the, the forced marginalization of black people started. I mean, it starts with slavery, obviously, and then and then post slavery, the laws put in place. They said that if you look like this, you're over here in this corner. You can't do this thing, right? Literal, literal, like coloreds over here, yeah. white folks over here, literally based on how you look. And that's generation, generations of black folks went through that treatment of this is the negative. There are, there are probably folks that were like, they like hated their black skin actually because it, 100%. Because it took away rights from them. And they were just as good as anybody else, but for their black skin. And then there's this moment in the in the civil rights movement where that switches. But is, is there anything about the historical part you want to add? 
I mean, I mean where, where, is, there, is there any is there anything in the decades of history around black where, where would you like me to start? Um, I, this could turn into like a whole history episode, and it's not. It's not going uh, yeah, to right. because I am going to contain myself. But one of the things that I think is really interesting and that informs what you just said, right? If we're thinking pre-modern civil rights movement, actually, I would say pre-black power movement mm-hmm. with the um, you know, with the organization, the first organization, the Black Panther uh, movement in Oakland in 1966, it's really important to understand that, like, part of the, the fascination with the Black Panther movement is them talking about, like, my black is beautiful, right. right? Like, that wasn't something that we got to hear. And the Afros and, you know, the, like, the black power, the black pride. Yes. Now, prior to that, for example, during the days of Thomas Jefferson, right? Mm. Thomas Jefferson famously wrote um, the notes on, notes on the state of Virginia. And in it, he kind of broke down how the kind of Jeffersonian elite saw black people, right? right? And they had this very interesting idea, which is actually not interesting at all, but horrible, but like whatever, um, where they felt as though black people won. He couldn't understand how black people would be able to go work out in the fields all day, do really tiring work in the fields all day, and then get in at midnight and still have a couple hours to, like, supposedly, in his words, revel with, you know, the community or with their families, right? He also felt, as he also noted, and in his supposed scientific thinking, stated that black people have, their grief is transient. And so they don't feel grief or feel love for their children in the same ways that white people would. Mm -hmm. So there was already this kind of othering of black people and finding justification for why black people were put in the positions of bondage, right? And then you get into Christianity and using the Bible and all of that. That goes as far as eugenics and it's saying... Exactly. And and there's all these different... Justifies this. Yep. Exactly. And so then those stereotypes are then taken and perpetuated in different ways and they kind of morph and shift into the stereotypes that we black people face today. Right. This idea that black people are lazy when in actuality we have to work twice as hard to get half as far as some other folks. And we don't look at the systemic you know, barriers that are placed in front of us. Mm-hmm that are different than maybe some systemic barriers that are placed in front of other other groups of people. Mm-hmm. So historically, there's always been this kind of, you know, scientific, where like science is following the trend, right? The trend comes first, this observation of black people and black behavior comes first, but then it is justified by this pseudoscience that doesn't take into account the bondage that black people have faced. And so this idea that like black people were saved from the savages, you know, from the barbaric life in Africa, completely like dismisses, you know, the Mali empire or the pyramids in in Egypt and all these things. So, you know, just okay. there's something about that that is like, <laughs> it, I'm just not a fan. No, no, you're right. Okay. So that, so that is the, that is like, that's how we, that's how we get to the place where we consider our skin tone first because y'all did. And you taught us yeah. in order to operate in this country, we had to. But you referenced, you referenced a second ago, you referenced the, the civil rights movement and not even, not, not even the beginning of the civil rights movement, but actually when you get to, when the young folks, actually in the in the late 60s when they got into the civil rights movement and you talk about the black power movement um this is where this is where things started to change where it wasn't just uh looking for equality it wasn't just fighting for rights it was about the identity of black people and it was it was kind of a a reach back and with pride to african roots it was the acknowledgement that 
there were, and you know, some of this, this history is a little, a little, uh, uh, smudgy, <laughs> but you know, we are, <laughs> dis- we are descended from kings and queens, word. right? That's where that, that kind of teaching starts to come is like, we, we have great people in our ancestry, which is what you just talked about with Molly. There, yeah. there yeah. are reasons to be proud. And so black is strong. Black is beautiful. Black is power. And, and that is, that is kind of the legacy that, that we flow off of, which is your identity that they have said is the reason why you're inferior is actually where you draw your strength from. Exactly. I, That's a beautiful way. We are 22 minutes into this podcast for me to say that line, <laughs> which is, which is the, which is the first thing that came to mind when I heard that was no. I, Look, I I want you to respect eventually. I want you to see me for who I am and respect me for Charles. And I want you to like learn everything that's in there. But do not disregard my skin tone, the shape of my nose, the way I talk, the 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 smell of Tacoma on my body. Like like that is <laughs> like you need to soak all of that in. And actually, the crazy thing about, you know, how we exist in CP is I'm, I'm, I'm leaning into that even more. I don't walk yes. around dressed the way I used to dress when I worked at Starbucks corporate. I'm like, who, who am I? Right. And it's not just who am I inventing from, from like my own head. It is who am I taking with me? Who am I bringing? Mm-hmm. Who are the generations of people I'm bringing with me? And who are the, who are the folks that helped me get to where I am? And I put them all on my back and we're all walking together. And that's, that's the other thing. That's the other thing is like in the scope of, and I'm going to hand it back to you because I'm going to start preaching in this, (laughs) in this, in the scope of, of the struggle, right? And we were taught of, we're taught that we are a piece of this longer fight for equality and rights and recognition as black people. And this is whether you are descended from slaves like me or whether you immigrated like you did, you are right there mm-hmm. in the fight. We're taught that we are, we're a part of that struggle and how we show up is it's a, a small percentage of what you see in front of you is me, is actually me that I get to claim as mine. Uh, the the vast majority of what you see in front of you is the blood, sweat, and tears of generations before me of people who survived and fought and bled and died to put me right here in front of you, to be able to look you in the eye and not have to look away and demand yeah. respect and demand that you identify. So so I want you to see me for sure for a little, a little, the little piece of me. But I need you to understand all these black people came before me and you need to see them, too, and acknowledge all of them, too. I want to ask you a question. If you were to describe blackness, right, in the way that you interact with it, if you were able to describe blackness in one word, do you have a word that you would use? Uh, Do I have a word? Probably, um, probably struggle, probably struggle. Um, 
Hold on, my son just walked in. Come here. If you were, just, <laughs> if you were to describe blackness in one word, what word would you use? No, no. See, you're trying to be funny. Seriously. I don't know. There's, it's, that's too vague. It's too vague? It's too vague. How about power? Mm. I would say resilience. Resilience? Greed. No. <laughs> get, get out of here. He's trying to, now he's trying to be funny. I, I, yeah, I would say, I would say resilience. Um, because, I mean, like you just said, right? We are, we are the descendants of those who survived, right? And enslavement was meant to break, you know, black people. Like some black folks were worked to the bone and, you know, weren't able to, uh, have children. And so the lineage may have stopped with that person, but there's also so many that survived some of the most horrific conditions a human could be put through. And that resilience has multiplied, mm-hmm. right? It's the same resilience that the Children's Crusade in 1963 was facing at Kelly Ingram Park with Bull Connor, right? It's these, these 11, 12, 13 year olds holding walkouts of their schools because they under, they may not fully understand, but they're like, I know that I deserve better, right? Because grandma has talked about this and mom has talked about this and like, it's my turn. So I think for, for me, I want people to yes, see me in my full capacity, but also my blackness does not negate your own existence either. And I think sometimes pride in our black identity almost seems as though like everybody else's identity is less than. It's like, no, it's not. I just really love the fact that I'm black and you can really love the fact that you are whatever else, but also I understand the social positioning that I have with this black identity. And so if you enjoy your ethnic identity, do you also understand the kind of social capital that it may hold? Right. And I think that's kind of a slippery slope for some folks to talk about because we don't teach nuance and racism in school, right? There's kind of this like either or thing, right? Like we don't talk about racism in the, in the way that it's institutionalized. We kind of talk about racism in terms of like Jim Crow, not understanding that Jim Crow was also institutionalized. So there's definitely, yeah, smudgy is a really, is like a really good way of explaining it. Yeah. And I, I was going to say struggle. I, I was going to say, but I like resilience because it's, you know, for, for me, for, for me, I use the, the word struggle in, in the, in the broader context of the, the, the ongoing fight. But resilience, I think is a, is a great word for it. And that's, it, yeah, it brings a lot of pride. I think, um, I think uh, oh, somebody actually listening live and commenting. That's cool. Um, I think that the and you commented back. This is great. This is how this is how you do a live show. I mean, the person is the person is correct. Right. Like there is the idea that, you know, during that time period, black folks were talking about themselves as descendants of kings or kings and queens of these things. But it is true. Like there weren't, you know, 400 million kings and queens yeah, in Africa. Yeah. The, there were people who were farmers and agriculturalists, yes. and, you know, and and shepherds and stuff like and those people are just as important to the narrative. And also those were the people who were actually purposely stolen from the continent right. of Africa to go work in the Caribbean. But in the in terms of the way folks were thinking of themselves as a way to uplift the black community, right. there is this idea, which is why colloquially. Black folks call each other king and queen, mm-hmm. right? It has now turned into a colloquial way to acknowledge the greater being 
in you that maybe society doesn't see, right. but it is, it is definitely, and also white folks, please don't use King and Queen. <laughs> I'm sorry. I understand that there's like there's so much in black culture that is like it seems cool and like you want to be a part of. But also that's the other thing about black culture is black culture is the thing that everybody dips into but doesn't give back Mm. to, you know. And so I get really hesitant about white folks using black colloquialisms because it's like it's blackness shouldn't be for everybody to pick from. It's because you is that precious. It's it's that. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's a really difficult conversation to have because black culture is so prevalent all across the globe. And so it feels as though it's for everybody. But there's just certain aspects of it that I really wish, you know, were a little more respected and stayed within the black community. But I also don't think that that's necessarily possible with the commodification of blackness. So let me let me bring it let me bring it back to to like that and like an initial interaction. So when, when somebody when somebody walks up to you. And they they don't know you, they know you or whatever, and the first thing they do is acknowledge your blackness, something about it, something like that. I mean, your hair, it could be your clothes that you're wearing, it could it could be um, something cultural, and they're not and they're not black. What do you what is your feeling around that? Or or how about something <laughs> somebody who knows you? How about somebody who knows you? Um, and decides to interact with you in that way. Ooh, you really had to ask that question. <laughs> All right. Um. <laughs> well, because that was that was something that they confronted on the last podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think um, I think 2021 version of me responds to that vastly different than maybe like 2019 okay. version of me. Um, mainly because I understand, and also because of my job. Right. And because of the visibility that I have and also how much I do talk about my black identity, I'm going to assume that this person means well. Now, depending on what they say, we may have to correct Mm -hmm. some of the language or at least help them navigate to a different language. But I'm going to assume that this person means well. Right. Mm -hmm. Because I also don't want to put a blanket statement. Now, if this person says something that needs some sort of correction or navigation and they don't take that well, then that completely shifts the way that I look at this person. Yeah. Yeah. I I would say, I would say the same. I would say the same. There's so much in me now that is more patient with people that want to approach me a certain way that uh, is willing to forgive, is willing to forgive the first, the first few trans transgressions because I I've got, I've got a relational goal possibly with you. And I think that yeah. we can we can work through these first couple bumps and get somewhere. Now if it continues, obviously it's an issue. Yes, and also the defensiveness, mm-hmm. right? Like if you understand that CP is a safe space for you to learn and defensiveness is your initial reaction and that defensiveness doesn't come down enough for us to have a conversation where you could learn a different way of interacting with folks. Then that's where it becomes, you know, I got to save, I got to like save my energy for somebody who maybe is more willing to have that conversation back and forth because I'm not going to assume you're a bad person. I will probably be able to understand that you maybe have had limited interactions with black people, mm-hmm. right? And also, I think if you don't have genuine friendships with black folks, and this is not me going out and telling you like, go find a black person to be friends with them, right? If you don't have genuine relationships, 
with black people, you may just have awkward interactions with black folks mm-hmm. because you don't know how to navigate that space. Yeah. Us living in Seattle, we have to have interactions with white people. It's kind of impossible to like go through life of that engaging and navigating with white yeah. folks. Right. So I think a lot of times for me, it's both the intention and the impact. If the impact is too large for me and that person doesn't want to have a conversation about the impact, then it kind of, you know, narrows the our ability to find some sort of reconciliation. And I think sometimes white folks may feel or like whiteness in general, I don't want to put it on white people, like the identity of whiteness makes it that you feel like perfection is the only way to go about this. I am perfectly fine with people making mistakes as long as they are willing to learn. Right. Like, I don't need you to be perfect because I know that your, you know, reality does not include dealing with blackness in the same way that includes me dealing with blackness. Now, again, if you're not willing to learn and willing to have those conversations and defensiveness becomes the shield, then it just makes it harder. And I'm more likely to just bow out yeah. and, you know, keep it at a very high level. Yeah. Yeah. Because uh, so. So, yeah. One of the things that that is that is a necessity. Oh, Charles, you did the thing. Man, if I if my phone goes to sleep, apparently it just, <laughs> it just cuts off the microphone. I don't know what's up with this app. At least it didn't hang up because I mean, that would have been sad. Man, so so uh, so that you you mentioned this part about you know if you don't have black people in your life, that that please understand there is nothing in your work history in your social history that will supplement having black people in your life for your ability to interact with black people in the future. Okay. I don't care if you <laughs> manage people in the corporation. I don't care how many businesses you owned. I don't care how many uh, people you've had on your team or whatever. If you haven't, if you don't have chosen relationships with black people, you will not truly understand or know how to interact with them. There is a way that black people show up at work and it's called code switching. And most of of y'all should know what this is. Um, But there is a certain amount of stuff that black people put up with at work that they will not put up with in their personal friendships. So, so that's one thing. If you don't have that, expect for it to be a bumpy ride when you go to interact with a black person in general, just in general. Um, the, so the other part about that is if you do, like AJ's saying, if you approach AJ or myself or whoever, and you, you know, it doesn't, you don't get it right the first time and the second time, like you, 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 you can't run away. You, you gotta stick it out for the long haul. If you have decided to do this work with common power and to be around, um, black folks that are in staff and volunteers or in the neighborhoods or partner organizations where we go and knock on doors. Um, you know, it's going to be something where you, you say something or do something that sets people off. It's going to happen. You got to stick around. Part of that, part of this entire thing is, is you making a mistake, hearing about how to improve on it and then coming back again and again and again. That's the thing. That's what builds trust. That's what builds trust across differences. And that's, that's the necessity for us to, um, build this better country society that we're we're looking to build. Yeah, yeah. And on that on that on that note, I would like to gently um, 
remind folks that sending articles about what it means to be a black person <laughs> in America or something about racism in America is probably not the best idea. Right. <laughs> I understand that I am the education, one of the main education people at CP and people want to share articles with me, which I appreciate to a certain point. If you are also not sharing these articles with your community, you're not going to get extra cookie points for like sending it to me. Right. I would really love, I mean, if I'm part of an email chain in which you're sending your community, your white community, um, articles right. to help them understand, you know, the black experience better than totally down for it. If you're just sending it to me because you, for whatever reason, like that's not, that's, I don't know what message you're trying to send with that. I receive a lot of these same articles from people who I think, and I know that it's, it's, you know, it's meant in the best way possible, but I'm literally receiving the same article probably four or five times right. um, from, from different folks. And yet I don't know if those folks are also sharing those same articles with their communities. Right. I had somebody send me an article that a black woman wrote about what it means to be black in America. And I just was very confused because <laughs> I am a black woman in America. So I wasn't quite sure what I was supposed to do with that article. And like, I have black women friends who are also black in America. So I just urge you to think about what is, what is the reason I'm choosing to send this specific article to AJ? Right. right? And like, could my community also use this article maybe more than AJ does? And, you know, Let's let's see how that goes. But I appreciate the articles. And also, I don't need um, I don't I don't I don't need them. I don't know how to say that like nicer. I just like, I just I don't know how to say that nicer. But like, thank you. But please send it to your book club or like your your neighbor. What's the neighborhood app thing? Uh, like, ne next that. door. Is it? Next door? Yeah. Put it in your next door profile, please. But like. <laughs> I don't need another black woman's perspective on how to be a black woman when I'm still figuring out my own perspective. For real. And plus, I already found that article on my own. Are you? I'm, I'm yeah. Yeah. Y'all know I read a lot. Exactly. So like my Google alerts are real ridiculous. Yes. So I appreciate it. But again, I would urge you to think about what was the reason that I sent this specific article to AJ and like, is it because I wanted her to read it or if there is there some other altruistic situation um, back there? And I think that's a difficult conversation for people to also just have with themselves sometimes. So so I want to want to bring this to a close. I think. Uh, I think that. You, you've heard AJ's perspective and and by the way, you know, the next time she does a lecture, you can hear her perspective again and again and again. Um. And, and you've heard my perspective on this. And I talk about politics and a bunch of other stuff most of the time, uh, not race so much. But again, uh, Ben and Julia's podcast really inspired me to talk to AJ about this and to get this one going. Uh, because the black experience is very different than the Asian experience. It is. It's a very different experience. And, um, and, and also, and also, these are four perspectives that you've heard. There's another, you know, there's for every person that's with common power, there's a, another perspective. Um, every, every, uh, BIPOC person with, 
common power is another perspective on what it's like and how they want to be seen. And we want to, the, the purpose of this podcast was to show the, the, the many different ways that BIPOC folks, young BIPOC folks, black and indigenous people of color want to be seen in CP um, and how they think about the community that, that is, that is not BIPOC interacting with them. Um, I think that the baseline of all of this, and I think we said this before, but is that we, we fully (laughs) understand the city we lived in. We've been, we've, we've been raised in this. um, And we, we love and appreciate the community that we are a part of. uh, And we, we love being on this journey with y'all and we appreciate the time that, and the commitment that many folks have put into not just the work that we do together, um, but keeping the community strong, appreciating and uplifting us. Um, and especially reaching out to, to young folks and, and supporting them. A hundred percent. Yes. The, the previous podcast in which you heard the perspectives of Julian Bin is absolutely valid and we do not want anybody to invalidate their experience. And also, you know, like we wanted to give, you know, a different look at it, but also just to add to the richness of the conversation that Julia and Ben started. Right. There's no kind of end point to that conversation. And they did such an amazing job of kind of starting off, you know, this this conversation that that is going to continue. But, you know, we appreciate how CP kind of grows and learns with us and then also creates spaces for us to learn and grow, you know, in our own individual ways. That's that's invaluable um, to have folks really believe in the mission and values of CP and actually act it out. Right. Like we've got folks who are flying out tomorrow to go knock on doors in Virginia. And that is so key because we do understand the way, you know, voting demographics work it is a lot of black and brown folks who are disenfranchised and the volunteers at cp have made commitments to try and empower those communities by supporting the organizations that work within those communities and that's really important for us and we are very grateful to have that kind of support yeah and uh yeah the next podcast that you you hear is probably going to be from virginia uh i'm flying out I think David's flying out tonight. Is he on the plane right now? What time is it? 8.30? <laughs> David's flying David out flies out, I think, at an hour. Yeah. yeah he's got a, it's, it's right. He's got a red eye tonight, and I'm flying out in the morning. Um, we're going to be on the ground in Virginia knocking on doors for the selection coming up. The next podcast we're going to do is going to be from the ground in Virginia, um, maybe even talking to voters. I don't know if we can get one, but definitely talking about the experience on the ground. Um Thank you, AJ, for your time, and uh, we'll we'll talk again. For sure. Fly safe, my guy. All right. Take care. Bye.